I wasn't being intentional. I wasn't blocking it off. What we call in the book, cowboy and cowgirl scheduling, fencing off, but also leaving wide open spaces. If you remember, you know, the song wide open spaces. So leave that wide open space and then also fence off certain parts of your day. So that was a huge learning. And then once we actually were after the fifth time, put that hammer down and I was actually able to dedicate that time. We had a record amount of sales, not only for that month, but that month produced a record amount of sales for the year. It's one small step for man. Lift off. We have a lift off. We choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I have a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Super You Podcast. It's the podcast designed to unlock and unleash your superpower. I'm Jake from Equal Man Studios. This week's quote is leap and the net will appear. Take a chance, make a move, go for it. Whatever it is, make today about growth, expansion, and progress. In today's episode, we're sharing a conversation between two modern leaders, Eric Qualman and Jake Carlson. Eric sat down with Jake to discuss focus, digital leadership, and how in life it's about stepping to the plate as much as possible. You'll even get to hear the story about how Eric lost four teeth in a basketball game, but he didn't let it stop him. After you're all caught up on the Super U podcast, you have to check out Jake's Modern Leadership podcast. Every week, they amplify your leadership superpowers through stories of success and struggle, including interviews with industry experts, those who have walked the walk and now assist on your journey. So let's get into it. This is Eric Wallman, you know I'm his equal man, and Jake Carlson. Hey guys, Jake Carlson here, host of the Modern Leadership Podcast. Are you ready to focus on amplifying your leadership superpowers? Let's go. Good morning, my friends and fellow elite achievers. Welcome to Modern Leadership. Today, we are sitting down with another author, entrepreneur, and thought leader to explore their journey. We want to dive into the ups, their downs, and ultimately the lessons they learned along the way. Of course, we want to show that everything is figureoutable. We are honored to have a great guest today, Eric Qualman. Eric has been called a digital Dale Carnegie and the Tony Robbins of tech. He's a five-time number one best-selling author, keynote speaker. He's reached 50 million plus people. I mean, that number is counting every day in 55 countries. He was voted as the second most likable author in the world behind a name you may recognize, J.K. Rowling. He's a former sitting professor at MIT and Harvard's edX Labs. He's done work with the National Guard, NBC, NASA, and so many more too that we can't just discuss on this podcast. Eric, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. It's great to join your listeners who are looking to take their next step in their journeys. So it's uh, so fun to be here. Well, we have a lot of business and leadership and book writing and things to talk about. But before we do, give us an idea of who Eric is on a personal level. Yeah, no, I grew up in the Midwest outside of Detroit. So at a personal level, just a humble kid born and raised outside of Detroit, kind of like the song Journey, you know, born and raised in South Detroit. But uh, I was in North Detroit, but <laughs> it's just uh, happy to be here. Fell into a lot of the things I do backwards. So it'd be fun to unwind that as we talk here this morning. 
Well, yeah, let's jump in the the uh, time machine a little bit and go back to your kind of adolescent ages, maybe in your teen years. What was on your mind? Where did you think you were headed in life? Basketball, basketball, basketball. I actually started. So this is where I, my first entrepreneurial foray was actually selling marigold seeds. So going door to door with a Dixie cup of seeds to sell those, I think at 50 cents a pop. So it was, it was a good deal for both of us. And then in middle school, I wrote a magazine called Swish Magazine. It had a cool logo and everything. So I was just enraptured in basketball, playing it, reading about it, doing it. So I thought anything to do with basketball, that's what I was going to be doing. But it sounds like it was a little bit more than basketball. It was out and being in the community. It was having these ideas that most kids, I mean, there were a lot of kids. I was into basketball when I was a kid. And what did that mean? That meant four hours with the, you know, the seven foot hoop so I could dunk it. And that, you know, those little mini balls that you could palm. (laughs) Yeah, that was obsessed with basketball. But you're taking it to a different entrepreneurial level. How'd you get that kind of magic within you? Yeah, no, I was just lucky. I mean, my parents are always supportive of whatever I did, but I just thought that there's a need because I was there was a, wasn't a lot. The internet wasn't there, right? So there wasn't a lot of information. So you're getting magazines, Big East basketball, and those mini basketballs. It's funny you bring that up. I had 40 of those in my room. So 40 of those mini basketballs. Everyone walked in and goes, why does your room smell like a rubber factory? Uh, but no, I just thought it was a need. I thought it'd be valuable to people to, here's the best players. So I do mock drafts, kind of like Mel Kuyper from the, if you know, Mel Kuyper did the NFL drafts. Sure. Football, NFL football and analysts. So I was doing kind of the Mel Kuyper for college basketball players who'd be drafted, who wouldn't, and then trying to pawn that off on my fellow classmates. Hey, buy this magazine and then sold some advertising in it. Actually, mainly to friends, uh, mainly my parents' friends, but actually that was just looking back. I didn't realize at the time, but that's first foray into writing and the first foray into entrepreneurship. So where did basketball take you at that point? Were you a player as well? Or was your passion more on the off the court? Yeah, no, I was a player and then I was cut as a junior. So I thought the dream had died. And then I went to Michigan State University, which at the time was actually ranked number one in the country in basketball. And I said, I got to get involved. You know, I I just got to get involved somehow. So there's such a good program. You have to actually try out to be the manager, a.k.a. the water boy. Yeah. And so I tried out and made it because only at the time took one. So I made it. Super excited. It was around the program. Coach Tom Mizzo's in the Hall of Fame. Even though he's still coaching, he is in the Hall of Fame. He just broke the record for most Big Ten victories. But I was super excited in the program. And then I didn't let the dream die. I said, you know, I'm going to keep working. I think I can make this team at some point. So I literally put on 50 pounds of muscle. 50 pounds. Yeah, it's not the freshman 15, but 50 pounds. Wow. I was skinny and grew uh, two more inches. And then just kept working at it. So eventually was able to walk onto the basketball team. We might get into that a little bit more. Actually, I'll get into it now. Yeah, let's do it now. This is intriguing. So one of the best things that ever happened to me was getting my teeth knocked out. Now, from a business perspective, for all your listeners out there, it's just a reminder that things happen for you, not to you. So here I am. I'm the manager. I'm the water boy. About once or twice a year, I'm allowed into practice because students are sick or someone's injured. They don't have enough bodies. This happens once or twice a year. So I get in. At this point, I've figured out I think I can make the team the following year. So I go, this is kind of my audition. And I get in and I am doing amazing. Everything's going right. The bounce is going the right way. The ball's falling in. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my best game ever. This They're going to see that I should be on the team. And then as luck would have it, I catch an elbow 
And I was born with two teeth missing. So I had fake teeth in the bottom part of my teeth just to keep it spaced correctly. Uh So I take this hit. I feel something in my mouth and I just kind of spit it out and put it on the side. But I think they're my fake teeth. Now, it turns out they were the fake teeth, but they also ripped out the two teeth that they're attached to. So I lost the total of basically four teeth. But I kept playing because I go, this is my moment. I'm not going to let it stop me. And then at a timeout, the trainer comes over because they can see there's kind of still some blood. He goes, what is... He goes, oh my gosh. (laughs) They find the teeth. He goes, we got to get you to the dentist right away. So I won't bore you with the pain that happened at the dental office. They couldn't do Novocaine, blah, blah, blah. But I'm sitting there going in the dentist chair. I can't even feel the pain because I go, what a bad break. What an awful break. I didn't get to finish my audition, if you will. Yeah. I've been having my audition in my life, but then it turns out so next year, I wind up short, making the story a little shorter somehow. I make the team the next year, eventually get a scholarship. But I remember Izzo, he builds this whole program on grit and grind. And so literally, that show that I kept playing, that helped me more than anything. If I would have made 100 shots, it didn't matter. Yeah, It was, we want that guy to show others, like, that's how we're going to build this program is on the grit and the grind. And so the next day of practice, Izzo goes, Qualman, I don't know if you're the dumbest player we have here or the toughest, but I think it's somewhere in the middle. And he started laughing just like he said he thinks it's the dumbest, but it was his nice way of saying, you know, you kept playing. So that's what we want to build this program around. You know, and at that level, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of people who have skill that can shoot the ball, but it really takes that heart, that passion, that commitment, especially at that level, because it's a grind. I mean, you're practicing all the time. You're trying to maintain your schoolwork. So as you're going through this, you're thinking, okay, I walked on the team. I'm on one of the best teams, if not the best team at the time, certainly a powerhouse team always has been. Were you thinking, hey, I'm going to take this to the next level? Or am I focused on my schoolwork to make sure that when this ride is over, I'm ready for the next one? Focused on the schoolwork. So my GPA was higher than my points per game. I was just happy to be there, get a scholarship. I mean, I was just over the moon. Uh, dabbled a little bit because I talked to some teammates, could have played in Europe a little bit, but I, I knew that my future was not in basketball. And so that's why I hunkered down on studies. And even Izzo, Izzo kept the course because... Izzo is very intense. And one time we flew back from Iowa, we landed at four in the morning. We'd lost on a last second shot and my car would not start. And I look around and I'd gotten out of the locker room late. So I'm looking around, I go, oh my gosh, every car is gone <laughs> except for Izzo's. There's no Ubers. Just, yeah, just Izzo's car. And I go, oh my gosh. And he's not happy after a win. I mean, after a loss. And so we got in the car. He's from the upper peninsula or Uper, if you're from Michigan. He scrapes literally in the windshield. It's probably like 20 below, just a hole big enough to see. That's what you do up in Michigan, Upper Peninsula. And he's driving. I'm like, oh man, this is uncomfortable. But then he just goes, he goes, how's school? I'm like, oh, I'm doing pretty well. I did this. And he goes, oh, you can do better than that. And he was right. Like, so then it was just, he was a good reminder just to keep on course for the schoolwork. So after school, where do you head next in your career? Because we're now moving towards this prolific writer, this Del Car- digital Del Carnegie. Where do we go from school to where we're at today? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is I fell into the digital space backwards. And I loved it back when digital wasn't, everything's digital today. But yeah. back when I fell into it, it was like the five nerds in the corner. And I happen to just love it. And so I spent a career, I was at Yahoo back when they were kind of the TikTok, Facebook of the day. And then I was the head of marketing at Travel Zoo. But eventually, 
I saw MySpace at the time and I wrote a book called Social Nomics. Now, the reason I wrote that book was because we were spending about 100 million in search at the time. So everyone wanted to hear from us on how we were buying search. Search was the biggest thing going on. And they wanted to know, well, you're one of the biggest buyers. Why are you buying so much? How are you making a return on investment? Then I started talking about social media. People are like, why are you talking about this teenage stuff? We want you to talk about search. We want you to talk about business stuff. Social media is just for teenagers. And I said, no, 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 you don't get it. This is revolutionary. This is going to change the way we communicate for everybody. Why do you think you saw that? Like you're talking to people who are very educated, very good at their jobs. They're seeing what's going on with where you're at and they're Mm -hmm. asking you and you're saying to them, hey, look, this social is going to go. Yeah. What gave you that kind of confidence? But also, how did you see the wave before everyone else saw it? Really? You know, I got lucky from a standpoint of just in my career, I'd seen a couple of these movements. So first, websites. So when I was an intern at Cadillac, they needed literally needed Cadillac.com. And there's a meeting about what websites were. No one knew what they were. Yeah. Like, you're an intern. You're young. You seem, why don't you give us a Cadillac.com website? Figure it out. <laughs> Figure it out. I'm like, all right, I'll do that. And it was easy back then. It was like four pages of easy HTML. But so I saw that. So websites. And then I saw when we went to spend money online. So Amazon buying books at the time, people were like, you know, that's crazy. I'm not going to get my credit card out online. That's insane. I'm not going to give out my credit card. So I saw that movement. Then we went to portals. Portals, for those who remember, just like Yahoo was a portal, like my Yahoo, you had everything kind of apps before there were apps because yeah. now you have it on your phone. But think about just before the phone, before the smartphone, a portal was basically all these apps in my Yahoo. Like a dashboard on your Yahoo account. Yeah, a dashboard. And then then we go to search. So search was the next movement. So then when I saw social, I'm like, whoa, this is the next thing. And this involves everybody because it's about communication and we're social animals. So the reason I had the confidence because I'd missed kind of being the leader on those other four movements. So I go, I'm not going to miss this one. And then secondarily, just understanding human nature that we all love to communicate. I go, this is not just teenage stuff. Everyone likes to communicate. So this is, that's what gave me the confidence. And then, then once I got into it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this could change the world. And now the confidence to write a book was tough because I had hundreds of rejection letters for a fiction book that I'd done. Mm -hmm. Already written, finished, done. You'd already put in the time in. Finished. Just like, we don't want that. We don't want it. We don't want it. And then I gave a talk on social nomics, social media. And my friend who was published said, you got to talk to my publisher. I, most people think you're crazy talking about this stuff in yeah. the business environment, but you need to go talk to my publisher. And then I took a train from Boston down to New York. And I literally had 20 minutes because I had to go to a conference where I was watching Tony Blair. He was the prime minister at the time. Uh-huh. And the way I said it, I didn't mean it to say it like this, but I go, I got to go in 20 minutes because, you know, I've got this thing with Tony Blair. It sounded like I was meeting with him. Yeah. <laughs> in hindsight. And then so anyways, I was able to get lucky and sign that deal with the publisher, Google the term social nomics, zero results. I'm like, that's a good title for a book. Let's rock and roll with this thing. And then started writing the book. And then the rest they say is history. It, it went number one. And then I started speaking on the subject. And now that's what I've been doing for the last 11 years is the edutainment company to entertain, educate, and empower people their best life, books, websites, podcasts. You know, it's been just a wild ride. Yeah. And you kept yourself busy, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, because that's one of the things you're speaking 
a lot on nowadays is how to balance it all and how to get be more productive and more efficient. But before we do that, this is 11 years, you know, as you've kind of been writing this wave. And as somebody who has experienced some of these big shifts throughout your career, one of the things I often ask guests, particularly when we bring on marketers and digital people is what's the next wave? What should mm-hmm. we be looking for? This is just you and me talking. Nobody's really listening. What should I be investing in? What should I be looking at? What's the next wave for where we're going with this marketing and, and digital space? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think that things that get me excited are voice search. So you have Alexa in your house and Alexa can already predict when you're about to have an argument with your partner or your spouse, which someone told me that's helpful to know when I'm about to have the argument, but what would be really great is if Alexa could actually argue with my partner or spouse. Yeah. Just but, let me get out of it. Yeah. Let me get out of it. <laughs> but voice is big. So voice search is huge. Artificial intelligence bullish on artificial intelligence. So anything AI related, we're already seeing that. So it just makes your life easier, AI. And so that's huge. And then mobile voting. This is one of the ones similar to social nomics where people look at me and go, that's not going to happen. Just like they said, you're not going to give your credit card online. So you will vote for the president in our lifetime on your phone. And that's a massive shift. So think about if your voting percentage goes from 50% to 95% just a massive shift in how democracy actually functions, not only for the president, but also at the local level that you start voting more. Most people don't vote at the local level, and that's the most important vote. And so that gets me excited just to see what does that do, both the good and the bad for democracy when you have close to 100% voting. That's an incredible thought. You know, we've had a lot of guests on this podcast. We've been doing this thing every week since 2014. I've asked that question many, many times. And it's the first, we've heard the AI, we've heard some of these other things. This is the first that I've really put my mind to. You brought up this voting, you know, I can see it happening. And I think you're right. I think there is a lot of people saying, that's crazy. I'm not going to get my credit card online. And look where we're at today, where we have, you know, Apple Pay, where my entire credit everything is online. So that's really fascinating. The last thing I want to ask you about, because this is just a fun one. How's your cheetah doing? Is it still beating up on Usain Bolt? Tell us the story. This is awesome. I have a little bit more background and knowledge in it than our listeners do. So you got to tell us what's going on. Yeah, yo, you're a good man, Jake, though. You're a good man. So for those that can't see me, which is, or have seen me, I wear crazy bright green glasses. Fluorescent it, green. Fluorescent green. And it all relates to a cheetah. And I haven't always worn these green glasses, but it all started with the cheetah. And so my name's Eric Qualman. So you take your first initial last name. That's your email address usually. So for my whole career, I've been equal man in terms of my email address. And honestly, I didn't like it because sometimes you're at Yahoo and you're they're like, oh, we need coffee. Well, equal man must be super fast. He's a superhero. He'll go get the coffee. And so I resisted it. And the reason I'm telling you this story, the reason I'm telling you basically my story is because I believe that all of us are living the same movie. We're just different actors and actresses within that movie. And so here I am, equal man, not loving it. So for 15 years, I resist my story because I think this is happening to me, not for me, as we discussed earlier. But then in a moment in time, aha moment occurs. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. So what happened was my second book, Digital Leader, they wanted to do an interview, this magazine. And for the magazine cover, they go, we want to have some fun with this cover. Do you mind if you wear some Clark Kent, like Superman glasses? I go, yeah, let's do it. And they said, well, it's St. Patrick's Day coming up. It's our St. Patty's edition. Do you mind if they're bright green? 
I go, I went to Michigan State undergrad. I mean, I love to rock the green. Let's do it. They bring them out. I'm like, whoa, those are like alien Seattle Seahawks. Those are bright green. But we take the photo and then I don't think much of it. And then a couple of weeks later, I fly to Kenya to give a talk. Now, the night before I go to a rescue shelter to adopt a baby cheetah, not to take home. My wife would absolutely kill me if I did that, but to take care of it, make sure it's safe, Yeah, make sure it's safe. And just, I want to immerse myself in Kenya to understand what the people are about. And so on the ride over the lady that I'm with, she goes, um, you know, the litter you're going to adopt from is the same litter that the U S I mean, not U S the Olympian Usain Bolt just adopted from two days ago and we filmed him. We'd like to film you and we'd like to marry that footage together to raise more money for the shelter, raise some awareness. I go, great, let's make it happen. And then she pauses and looks at me and goes, but obviously when we're filming and photographing you, we want to make sure you're wearing your green glasses. And I kind of look back at her and go, Oh, I don't wear those around all the time. I look like a fool walking around wearing bright green glasses all the time. And the look of disappointment on her face is a look I never want to see on any human ever again. Yeah. But also it just sparked in my mind because she goes, wait, no, no, that's what everyone in Kenya thinks you look like. And so that was the aha moment for me. Why am I resisting this story? It's not like, I can't believe I'm equal man. It's like, oh, I can't believe I'm equal man. Let's step into it and let's step into that discomfort. Let's step fully into my story. And then by doing that, wearing the green glasses, if it helps just one other person to live their best life, then it's worth any discomfort that I'm going to walk in. Now, did I foresee down the road that when I went, well, I was just in Vegas this week and gave a talk and there's 2,600 people and they have green glasses on every chair. Did mm. I envision that? Absolutely not. But it's been fun. My wife and I always laugh. Who knew we'd be in the business of actually producing these green glasses? And the coolest moment ever with the green glasses, to be honest, I'm rambling on a little bit, but was the school district in Texas actually approached me and they run a kindness campaign now for the last three years. The green glasses, every student has them, every teacher has them, and they have kindness days where people wear the green glasses. So it's been pretty awesome. And then in that one, it's funny because I'll be at the deli. And someone will come up to me, a mom will go, oh, what class do you teach at the school? And I used to be like, I don't teach a class, but now I kind of have fun with them because a lot of these moms are like super tiger moms and helicopter moms. So I'll go, yeah. oh yeah, I teach a uh, third grade neuroscience. And the look on their face is like, why isn't my kid in third grade neuroscience? So <laughs> what a tremendous so. story. I just love that story. I had no idea all of the details. I just knew that your cheetah was faster than Usain Bolt. So that's Ooh. all I knew. <laughs> all right. Now, these glasses, our listeners can't see them. But if you go get a copy of the book, the new book, The Focus Project, you're going to see them right on the cover. And they're awesome. And I love what you've done with the cover of the book. Basically, on the spine, you got one side that shows in focus and you got one side that shows out of focus and looking at it's disorienting, but you've written this brand new book, the focus project. Tell us a little bit about what's going on now that you've kind of come from this digital background. Now you're stepping into more of this, the Tony Robbins of tech. Yeah. So the focus projects, my sixth book and Ironically, it is the anti-venom to my first book. So thanks, social nomics. I'm sitting here going, how, how social media changed the way we live and do business. I'm saying you've got to get into these tools. You're going to be left behind if you're not in these tools. So then I see everyone go way too far into their phones. I go, whoa, 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 everybody, let's pull back. Let's pull back. Let's pull back on the screen time here. And obviously gasoline on the fire when you think about the pandemic. So I was sitting there every night. My hair was on fire and all you 
entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs that are listening will really appreciate this. Every night I'd go to bed, my hair felt like it was on fire. I said, all right, tomorrow, that's not going to be the case. And then rinse, wash, repeat happened again. Yeah. So I'm sitting there going, wait, I'm kind of, I'm an author. I own a small company animation studio. I control my own destiny, so to speak, because I'm the owner. And if my hair is on fire, everyone else's must be really on fire. Yeah. How does my team feel? Yeah. So I start asking everybody from school teachers to CEOs and everyone's in the same boat. So I'm like, all right, that's a big problem. Everyone can't focus on the big. They're all focused on the busy. So that's why I did the two-year project to really figure it was two years because the first year was five attempts and failing. Mm. Literally, I'd go, all right, I'm going to focus on one thing a month just to see how powerful it is. And I'm going to read all these books out there for the last hundred years on how to do this. And whether it's true or whether it's not, that's what we want to test, what works and what doesn't work. And so that was the whole, that's why it was a project. It was a focused project for myself, but I also knew that other people would be fascinated to know what can help me focus on the big versus the busy. How do I make sure my hair is not on fire? So that was the whole point of the book in the project. And again, that first year, five times, this is what happened. I go, all right, the first year, first month, I have to focus on sales so that I can afford the opportunity to kind of do this project. Because if I don't focus on sales, then I can't have the opportunity to do this project. Sure. And so you got to figure out what's your big thing. For us, that's what it was. And for me, it's getting booked on stage to speak. And so just by, like, I'm going to put in like 30 minutes to two hours. Doesn't matter what the amount is. You got to f- figure out what's good for you. But I go, all right, 30 minutes a day. But for me, I go, let's do two hours a day where I'm just outreach, just outreach. And literally at the end of the first month, I did 17 minutes for the month, not per day for the month. Now, were you not blocking off the time? I mean, did you find yourself sitting and doing something else, being distracted or because, I mean, it seems like if you set a goal to go to the gym, you may not work out, but you'll be at the gym. I mean, is that kind of what was happening? It was. I wasn't being intentional. I wasn't blocking it off. What we call in the book, cowboy and cowgirl scheduling, fencing off, but also leaving wide open spaces. If you remember, you know, the song wide open spaces. So leave that wide open space and then also fence off certain parts of your day. So that was a huge learning. And then once we actually were after the fifth time, put that hammer down and I was actually able to dedicate that time. We had a record amount of sales, not only for that month, but that month produced a record amount of sales for the year. Cause it could have been, it wouldn't work. And then I yeah. don't even write a book. Cause I'm like, this doesn't work. This is all BS what these people are talking about. And it worked. And so then away we go uh, with the entire project. Yeah. That's, you know, I found just in my life, you know, great intention. I used to always say, never make a, a big decision at night, always make it in the morning. Cause at night you have passion, you're out and you're talking with your friends right. and you've seen all this stuff. Then you wake up in the morning. You're like, I can't do that. Yeah. And so you make these decisions, but it's not just, Hey, this is the direction I want to go. It's, I love this concept of wide open spaces because nobody likes to be kind of nailed down and have every minute of their day scheduled. There's no opportunity for flow, for creativity, for, you know, enjoyment, but mm. also you got to set a parameter there. I mean, you really got to focus in and get stuff done. So now as you've gotten this project kind of off the ground and, and you're moving forward, what's the reception been like? How are the people that you're speaking to receiving this concept of the focus project? You know, I was nervous because you got to keep in mind, my other books are all on digital leadership. Now this is under digital leadership because you can't be a digital leader without the proper focus. 
you got to focus on the big versus the busy. But it was a dangerous step for me to take because most people wouldn't be able to understand that it's under the same umbrella. But the beautiful thing is the pandemic happens and I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, the world's changing. But then all of a sudden I got all these notes. We need that book now. So we actually launched the book earlier, which is a, a big no-no in the publishing world because you want to make sure you have everything set. You got to get the momentum. Momentum. And there's certain times a year, which is the fall, usually better. But I'm just like, you know what? You know, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if some people, if there's one person needs this book that's going to help them. I mean, there are some dark thoughts, right? During the pandemic, like people there have, yeah. went into some dark places and we got a lot of emails. So we sent, got the book out earlier. And then from a business perspective, very well received. All of a sudden it's our top talk track. And a lot of times we marry it with digital leadership. So what has happened across a lot of these companies, there's a war on talent. And so they're trying to develop the culture. And also they want to make sure their employees aren't getting burned out, especially when they're working virtually. So all of a sudden, this book was the right thing at the right time. And that's where luck, I mean, you talk about this a lot on your podcast, you know, preparation meets opportunity. It was also lucky that all of a sudden people really need this because now they have no idea there's homeschooling. They've got a million things to do now that they didn't have to do before because we're in this pandemic. And they're now isolated from their friends. So how do they focus and how do they focus their energy so they don't go to that dark place? And most importantly, they can still get stuff done now that their world's completely changed on how they go about work. And so it was the right book at the right time and still is as we move forward through the pandemic because now we've got, okay, now how do I refocus now that we're moving forward? I don't say we're going back, we're going forward. You can't unsee the scene. And so it's really about going forward. Yeah. Learning and growing and rising up above it. Now you said often during this episode, I got lucky. I mean, I don't know if you even recognize how many times you'll tell a story and you'll say, you know, I got lucky. I got my teeth knocked out. Hey, I got lucky that I was, you know, chosen to be the ball boy, which put me in this atmosphere. I got lucky that the book and I got lucky the uh, pandemic. I hear that a lot. And tell me a little bit about how the role of luck, we hear you say luck, but you're not just a lucky person. You're hardworking and you're focused and you're really doing the things that lead to that luck. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's interesting. The harder you work, the luckier you get. And so you've got to go up to the plate. The beautiful thing about life in general is unlike baseball, where they track your average in life, it's about getting to the plate as many times as possible because you're trying to hit. For a lot of you out there, you might be hitting home runs, but it's really when we talk about the focus project, it's about hitting those grand slams. You know, those grand slams are out there. So literally it's about stepping to that plate as many times as possible. Well, that sounds pretty simple, but it's not easy. Why isn't it easy? Because in our DNA, we're afraid to fail. And that's good because it protects us a lot of times. Your brain is trying to protect you, but it's old software, right? There's no saber tooth tiger out there trying to kill us right now. Yeah. And so it's really, and it's a reminder I always tell people, look, I write these books for myself as much as anyone else because I go back and read them because I am struggling with it as well. I don't have all the answers, but here's something that's helped me and I hope that it helped you. And so part of that is get to the plate as many times as you can. They're not tracking your average. It's going to track how many grand slams you get. And you've said this idea of things don't happen to you. They happen for you. And I want to just, as we close up and round out this episode, you know, a lot of your revenue, a lot of your business 
pre-pandemic was speaking, getting on stages, you know, 50 mm-hmm. million people in 55 countries. How has the pandemic shifted either your focus as a speaker or, you know, what's happened for you through this, you know, where a lot of people saw their revenue really dip? Yeah. So I love the figure outable. So when we think about, I did a video for social nomics that went viral and it was my first video. I hired, I was sitting at Cambridge at the time. So I had an MIT student help me with the animation. And then literally had three people call me, companies would call me and go, Hey, do you do those videos for companies? I go, no, no, no. I just did it for the book. And then I'm like, duh, like fortunately I got that fourth knock. So don't do what I did and not listen the first three times for those knocks. Cause it's often you don't even get a second knock. And then finally I go, yeah, yeah, we've got a, we got an animation studio. We can make it happen. And then I go, all right, figure outable. How do I make this animation studio? and scale it. And now we've done animation for Disney, for Cartier, Mont Blanc, for Oreo. And so it's been a wild ride. And that was all figuring it out and making sure we answer the door. But to answer your question, since we had the animation studio, when I speak on stage, I usually do, I'm a video storyteller. So all of a sudden, boom, the pandemic hits. We we're actually already doing virtual. Most people didn't want virtual, but we we're already aware of it. And since I was a video storyteller, it's a little more compelling rather than a talking head for 40 minutes on Zoom. And away we went on the virtual side. So we were really fortunate that we had that virtual capability and that it worked well. But obviously, I'm super excited to be back on stage. I mean, it's it's much, much better to be back on stage. And our revenue was down because you just don't get paid as much to do the virtual events, but you can do more in a day on down the line. But I, I couldn't be more excited to move forward in the world where now you can have both. Hey, I can't make it to New York but I'm happy to do virtual before they'd be like virtual. Yeah, no way. Now they're like, great. That'll work out. Well, we'll make it happen. And we're like, perfect. Well, that's another story of you being lucky or actually putting, getting in the game, really working hard and having those opportunities come to you. Thank you for hitting on the figure outable a couple of times there in the story. We love that. You know, Eric, this has been a fabulous conversation. We want to get the listeners out and reading your books. How can we find out more about you? How can we leave our listeners with an opportunity to connect? Yeah, it's Equal Man across the board. So it's just exactly how it sounds, Equal Man. And that's the easiest way to find me. And yeah, check out The Focus Project. That's our latest book. If you're into board games, edutainment, we've got Kitty Corn. So your kids, anyone eight, well, really five to 95 will love it. So it's a good game, Kitty Corn. So if you want to get off that screen time and play a nice board game, Kitty Corn, check it out. (laughs) We're going to definitely check it out. My kids love board games and we love to do them as a family. Eric, this is fabulous. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being inspiring. And thank you for being this week's modern leader. No, thank you, Jake. Awesome to see you. And thanks for having me on here. Great to hear you. Seven, six, five, Three, two, one. Super, 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 super you. Oh.